Hi, everyone. I'm Jerry Page Butner. Welcome to the Abundantly Curious podcast. This week, we talk about coexistence and non-duality and spirituality and religion. We tend to have an either-or perspective whenever it comes to our beliefs and higher powers. Either you are this religion and that religion is true and everything else is false, or none of it makes any sense and none of it's true at all. But there's this huge middle area, this connective tissue in between all of our different belief systems. There was really just a lot of fascinating stuff in this conversation that came up that ties in not just to religion, but in our connection to ourselves, our connection to the world around us, and our connection to that ineffable experience, that higher power, the sensation that there is something connecting all that is. There's just so much good stuff in this episode that I'm really not even sure how to summarize it here. It goes all over the place. But trust me, if you want to open up your mind to figuring out how unifying the topic of religion can actually be, then stay tuned. Before we dive in, I'd like to welcome you to the Abundantly Curious podcast, where we aim to spark curiosity, ignite inspiration, and open your mind to expand into possibility. Each week, we'll sit down with experts to dive headfirst into the magical, mysterious, and awe-inspiring elements of our world with a focus on topics found at the intersection of science, spirituality, and self-help. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting subscribe now and joining our email list at the link in our show description and show notes. Our guest today is embodiment coach and spiritual guide, Jenny Scholl. Jenny holds degrees and certificates in religion and integrative somatic trauma therapy and is currently a postgraduate student of Luminous Awareness Institute, which weaves together ancient wisdom roots with developmental psychology, attachment repair, somatics, nervous system repair, and energetic awareness and awakening. She helps individuals and businesses harness the power of their energy fuel their passions with their purpose, and feel into each step of the journey. As an embodiment coach, she helps people come back to their self and their center, utilizing non-dual practices to help bridge the gap between spirituality and religion, and between self and cultural conditioning and programming. Jenny, it's so good to see you as always. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Two friends. And now yeah. we're here together. So I know so much about you, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and your background of how you came to be where you are today, because I find it a very fascinating story. It is a very fascinating story. <laughs> well, as you know, we both grew up in eastern North Carolina, so grew up in the Bible Belt, um, but raised by parents from New York, so kind of a, a blend there. Uh, but very much grew up in the Christian church. That was my community. That was everything. Uh, went to school at UNC Chapel Hill, where I met you, uh, which was like my first little expander into even just things like feminism and like questioning your faith. And there I started studying. I've got a minor in religion, and I started studying things from a more like historical point of view and started being like opening my mind to what I believed. Mm. And just starting to get some thoughts of like, wait a second, like, wh what is it now that I'm out of my little hometown bubble? Mm. 
and uh, lived in Raleigh, North Carolina for a while, ended up in California in Manhattan Beach for a sales job, um, which exposed me to a whole nother set of ideations and values and um, another opportunity to figure out where I stood in this mix, like what things were mine, what things were programming. Um, at the time, I didn't realize I was doing that, but looking back, it's just kind of been this evolution of where do I fit here? Where do I fit here? Where do I fit here? Mm-hmm. Um, ended up traveling, meeting some amazing people, traveling, kind of got burnt out on that sales job and decided to move down to San Diego, down to Encinitas, um, started up a nonprofit, started traveling the world with the nonprofit and really just loved that heart for service of being able to experience different people and different cultures and what makes us the same and what makes us different and that that pure connection, which looking back now was my ability to be purely present. When I traveled and I was with somewhere new and I was with someone new and I was learning about their life, I wasn't as consumed about my own. And that just felt really good and I kept chasing that high. Um, eventually came back to Encinitas, came back to San Diego, started working in like meditation practices, starting trying little bits of plant medicine and really just had my eyes opened and my heart opened that there is something greater going on than I realized before. Mm. And like all these dots in my life started connecting of how I could feel energies that I just didn't have the words for. And so as teachers and people were coming into my life to give me the words, it was like, uh, I can't even describe it. It felt like breaking out. Not like, not that I was in a prison, but it felt like I had control over like what posts to remove and like how to go forward. Mm. So it's kind of a roundabout way, but now I'm here. I am so fascinated by all of these things that I just really dove into studying more uh, especially the embodiment piece of like how things land in our body, how things feel in our body, how our body can be a barometer for our intuition and telling it which way to go and kind of relearning how to be a human. <laughs> <laughs> I That makes total sense. And in fact, you mentioned something earlier where you were making a distinction between what's yours and what's programming, mm-hmm. which feels tied to a little bit of relearning what it means to be ourselves. How do you make that distinction between the two? Yeah, that's taken a lot of practice and removing myself from certain circles and certain situations, um, a lot of contemplation, a lot of silence, uh, and a lot of curiosity of what other lines of thinking are out there. Mm. Because I don't know the illusion, like if you if you've got the eight pack box of crayons and those are the only colors, you know, your entire life. Then you're like, these are my colors. And then someone shows up with a 64 pack and your mind is blown wide open. And that's kind of what happened to me of like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And so it's that I spent a long time and I'm still doing it of just being with all those new colors. And like figuring out which ones I actually like. Um, And there's no like blame or shame. These things are passed down culturally or like through our family and through our lineage. And maybe they only had the eight eight pack 
box of crayons their entire lives. So they didn't know any different. And they passed it on to us and they're like, here's your colors. Mm. And I imagine that all of your travels, I want to mm-hmm. paint the picture of those a little bit more. They must have contributed to the expansion of your coloring box, right? Like how many countries oh, sure. did you go to and how did those trips impact you? That's exactly right. I think I was picking up like little colors all along the way, right? Um, I think I think I've been to 24 countries. Wow. Maybe more, but a lot of them, I was so fortunate to be doing impact work and to be partnering with nonprofits. Mm. Um, So I've had experiences like working with Syrian refugees in Greece and walking the dirt streets to go to water with children in Haiti and being the first blonde person that some children in schools in Kenya had ever seen. (laughs) And it's these like experiences that mold me and shape me and and yeah open my mind to how other people are living and and getting back to especially in some of those countries the like simplicity at the heart of it Hmm. and like the humanness that connects us even though our lives are so vastly different yeah there's something that joins us all together doesn't separate us which is really tied to, I think, your journey with your religion and your spirituality. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what your journey was with religion and how that's evolved over time? Yeah, for sure. Um, So like I said, I grew up in the Christian church and I was super fortunate. I know a lot of people can carry a lot of religious trauma from growing up in very strict um, conditioning. Mine was a beautiful Methodist church in a small town, and it was our community. It was very service-oriented. And I mean, I spent a lot of time there. There was like Sunday school, vacation Bible school. I think there was youth group, and like three or four nights a week we were at church. I was in the choir, like all of these things. I was in a praise band, so I was 18, singing worship songs. And I always recognized, you know, it was my community and it felt good, but I always recognized uh, like when I would sing, there would just be like a different energy that moved through. Uh, And sometimes when everyone was like in prayer, I was like, oh, there's just a different energy that moved through. And then some other times when everyone felt like they were just reading words out of a bulletin and da-da-da-da-da, I felt nothing. Mm. And I was like, why are we just reading? And I was like, okay, well, you know, but that was all I knew. Um, And then when I went to school in Chapel Hill, it's got a beautiful religion department. Uh, Bart Ehrman is one of the like, theological scholars and he teaches there. He's actually studied himself into atheism. I also studied with some of the top archaeologists in biblical studies. And I started learning about it from more of a historical point of view. Hmm. And I started to gain more context into what was the time period and the culture and the lives like around the time of Jesus, around the time of the disciples, around the time that these texts were being written. And I remember sitting in one class and they were like, oh, here's who really, quote unquote, wrote the Gospels. And my mind was like, what do you mean? It's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And they're like, yeah, no, they were they were dead for like hundreds of years before this actually got put pen to paper. Oh, wow. And I was just like, huh. Okay. (laughs) So then I started being like, well, that makes sense, right? A lot of these are parables and stories that were passed down 
three different generations. And then, you know, Bart Ehrman also, he wrote a book of, of lost Christianities uh, and different religious texts that were left out of the Bible. And that was the first time I had really heard of that. I had uh, heard of like the Council of Nicene and Nicene Creed, but I didn't realize essentially just the time period and how closely religion and politics were tied. Hmm. And how it was a time of patriarchy and it was a time of a caste system. And there were people very high on the hierarchy and people very low on the hierarchy. And anyone who challenged that, including Jesus and his disciples, were killed. And I was like, huh, okay. And my little Bible stories were <laughs> becoming a little more graphic and like truth telling. And so then I, I don't know if I, I, then looked at things from a more historical perspective. And I was still engaged in church. Um, There's a beautiful center on campus called the Wesley Center, which was United Methodist, which is the same denomination I grew up. And the preacher there, Dr. Jan, welcomed questions. She said faith wasn't faith unless you could question it and still believe. Mm. And so it felt like a very open place to explore some of these questions that maybe I had when I was younger, but they didn't feel welcome or people didn't necessarily know the answers. You mentioned you felt actually safe to ask questions. And that's something that I know that I never experienced as a kid growing up in North Carolina as well in a Southern Baptist church where there were very strict rules and questioning the authority of the pastor or of their interpretation of the Bible uh, was a taboo. Something that's drawn me in my journey has been like whenever you can ask questions and get honest answers without there being a wall put up between the question and the answer, it feels more... um, it feels more like truth. So how did that journey go for you once you realized like, oh, I can open myself up to curiosity in this space? Definitely. I think fast forwarding to when I moved to California and I started getting into more meditation and higher states of consciousness and awareness and non-duality, which is being able to hold both truths at once, right? And I really realized how conditioned the human species is, America is, you know, we, we like to fit ourselves in boxes, whether it's politics or religion. And anything that challenges that is a threat. It's seen as a threat. And it's very hard to learn that way. And it's very hard to actually get in touch with what your own personal beliefs are when you feel like if you ask, you're a threat. And then you might get kicked out. And then you no longer belong in this community. Mm. And so it's very difficult. And you can feel it in your body, right? You're like, I don't even want to ask the question. Because it's not being able to hold that there can be two truths. Like, can we hold that Jesus was a Jewish man who was walking around teaching truths and parables? And that he might not be the one savior of the entire world. (laughs) Yeah, both can be true. Both can be true, right? There are other religions, including, you know, I live here in Encinitas, and there's a center of self-realization, Yogananda, who brought yoga to the U.S., and they hold Jesus Christ as one of their gurus on their altar. 
they believe this was a beautiful man who spoke teachings and taught us of awakenings, which is about what all the Gnostic Gospels are about. And I can go into that a little more. But it's like, why can't both be true? Why can't people of other religions and faiths go, oh my gosh, yes, what beautiful man, what beautiful teachings. And why do they have to go to hell if they think there might be others of them? I mean, I was told I would go to hell if I like painted my fingernails. There's so many interesting interpretations Mm -hmm. of all of this that can create separateness. You mentioned the perceived boxes of the separateness of different religions and approaches Mm -hmm. to spirituality. What have you found in all of your studies that has actually been unifying? Mm. So what I believe is at the heart of my personal beliefs is that all of these different religions are different doorways to the same love. They're different doorways to knowing that there is something greater than this body right here, Hmm. that there is a soul, that there is a spirit. And the different religions, I I understand why they were formed. It's the way that different people can make sense of this thing that is so much greater than we are. And so I do believe that at the heart of it, unifying at the heart of it, it's the believing in something more. Hmm. It's the believing in the energy. It's, it's what our human minds are trying to use to conceptualize soul. Yeah. How do you define soul? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you the hard ones today. <laughs> yeah. Soul. Let me feel into this. So. We have our human bodies, right? They're like at a very physical level and our personalities and and all of these things. But I believe that a soul transcends all of that. Um, So there's a soul that's inherently who we are that's connected and part of a greater being. Mm -hmm. So we are all parts of this whole which, you know, in some religions, it's like there is God in you, there is God in me, because we are both God. And so there's these connections at a higher level. And if we're lucky, we get glimpses of it in this lifetime. And then maybe there's perhaps practices to be able to stabilize it in this lifetime so that we can live more from our soul and less from like our human mind and ego. Mm. I only recently just heard about in the Bible and the Christian religion, which was, uh, and I don't know if this is true or not, so maybe you can correct it if it's not, but I heard a story about how Jesus was convicted of heresy because whenever they asked him, who is God? He said, I am. Did that actually happen? What is the storytelling around this area of God being in us and around us? Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's definitely truths in that. Um, Jesus, there were many people at this time, by the way, there were a lot of Jesuses per se, going around and and preaching that there's something more. And they were going against the caste system in place, the politics in place. And they were almost think of it like the hippie movement, right? It was like a one love, like we're brothers, we're sisters. When at the time that they were living in, they were like, no, women are down below. Tax collectors are down below. Lepers are down below. And here's this group of people, Jesus and his followers, being like, not everyone's invited. We're brothers, we're sisters. And and that challenged the people in charge. Mm. 
because then they can't have as much control, right? Because they can't say, no, I'm on top, you're on bottom when you've got this group movement of people saying, but we're all together. <laughs> no one's in charge. Everyone's loved the same, you know? <laughs> so, and Jesus Christ was getting such a following. And I believe, and because I've connected to the spirit, I believe it's because he was fully embodied mm. and people could feel. Because if you read the text, he wasn't going around preaching. He often prayed in silence. He also often prayed in the garden. Even like the Lord's prayer, the disciples asked him, hey, can you teach us this prayer you're praying? And, you know, and he even says to go pray in silence, to not like stand on the street corner and preach all these things. And so I believe that people were attracted to his energy mm. and, and what he was doing and how they felt around him. And like, man, this guy's got something, you know, and, and so that I am peace. Um, I actually was just listening to another book that it was translated, I am God and I am the son of man. Oh. And there's this duality again and the non-duality of being fully human and fully divine. That he was so embodied in his soul and his spirituality and at the same time saying, and I'm fully human. I'm walking around this earth. I've got anger. I flip tables. You know, like there's things that are human experiences. And then how do like we come back to alignment? How do we come back to spirit? How could we come back to soul? And I think that with religion, when people think that he is God, they don't want to think that he can also be human. And in this awakening that's happening right now on the planet, I think a lot of us are realizing like, oh, if, if he can be both, we can be both. Like, what if we are all fully human and fully divine? What if we are all God beings that are here on this planet to learn how to be human and how to remember to be both? That feels like it extends so far beyond religious texts and spirituality and that higher power. It's like this notion one thing can be both things that seem contradictory at the same time. And whenever we try to separate them from what I've seen, they almost start to make less sense. But when they bring all the pieces together, it's like the puzzle starts to form. For some reason, historically, it seems, and there continues to be today, such resistance to unifying messaging. What, in your opinion, is or has been the resistance to that both? And what is driving people to want to separate into different tracks? Mm. I think originally it started and maybe still is with power. Mm. So the church having power, the church being the one to declare this is how it is. If you believe this, I can still be in charge and you are my follower. Even, you know, we, we talked about, I think I touched on the Gnostic Gospels before, there were Gospels that were left out of the Bible. So the collection of books that we see today was selected, I think, in 367 by a group of men who said, okay, there's all these thoughts going around, let's create one system. And to no fault of their own, it was probably a hard job, they selected these books as like, this is it. And then they told all the others to be burned. Power. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like who, the control of saying, this is what it is. No one else can have any other schools of thought. Luckily, at the 
those days, like the monks in the monasteries were the, like the printing press. And there were a few of them who buried texts, which is now how we have the Gnostic Gospels and like the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and the Gospel of Philip and the Gospel of Thomas. And those Gospels essentially say that we have everything we need already inside of us to go through this awakening, that there's no such thing as sin, that sin is simply our ego thinking it's the whole. It's when essentially, if you think of like IFS terms, it's like when we're stuck in a part and we think that's who we are is how they define sin. Hmm. But in those gospels, that means that we have everything we need already inside of us, and therefore we don't need the church. Which is the opposite of what you need to establish power. <laughs> yes. So that's where I believe it began. And, and then I think that our human conditioning, again, right, that's inclusion. If you go against it, now, maybe you may feel like you're getting ostracized and killed, but back then you actually were. Uh. You know, like, like there's, a, there's a reason that's in our DNA and there's like a reason that's in our body is because there were martyrs and there were people who were put to death because of their beliefs that went against the powers in charge. It's no wonder that we feel like if we go against the group it can almost feel like you're going to die because in the past, not that long ago, to be honest, it, it actually could lead to physical mm -hmm. consequences. And even if not that, extreme social consequences, which I still see today. You mentioned Gnosticism. What, what is that? So the word Gnostic is the wisdom that can only be learned through direct, direct experience. So I'll say that again. Gnosticism and the word Gnostic is wisdom that can only be learned through direct experience. So it's the things that are felt. And the word, the Gnostic Gospels, are these Gospels that I was just talking about that really speak of Jesus as this uh, man who was preaching and teaching awakening. And they were things that you could feel. And they talk about uh, feeling and seeing through the heart and like what that is like. And they talk about um, becoming human and like all the different experiences that we have to go through to be able to reach these higher level states of consciousness and these higher levels of awakening. So when people talk about Gnosticism or even Christian mysticism, it's more of a felt experience with the divine. Hmm. Almost going back to the beginning where I said sometimes in church, I, I could feel things that I could feel like, oh, I feel such devotion or this song is really moving through me or like this prayer, I can feel it versus the times maybe you're reading or reciting and it's very much from your head. Yeah, absolutely. I really related to that experience because I remember on my own journey, some of the times when I felt so connected was in group dynamics where everyone is intentionally gathered singing or, you know, sort of like moving around. I went to a non-denominational church for a while and they had some pizzazz with drums and there was dancing and all of these things. What was it about those group dynamics? And I guess across all religions, what is the differentiation between like, okay, this is just coming in through the mind versus I'm actually feeling the presence of something that's higher than me here? Hmm. I think part of that, so it's, it's part of a container, right? It's part of this group field that there's a coherence. And when they create 
a place of expression, especially like I love going to big mega churches like that and like feeling the praise songs and all this stuff because there's like a full permissioning, right? Like the music's loud and you often can drop out of your head and into your heart. And I believe the difference is that heart coherence and that presence and that being embodied with like-minded, like-bodied, like-hearted people. And there is this coherence that you can feel. It's like visceral, right? You're like, huh. And the same can be felt in a group meditation. The same can be felt. People love going to masterminds or like Tony Robbins, right? Like different scenario, but you're present. You're right there and everyone's right there. And there's this connection point, almost like the experience that I got when traveling, but on a much larger level of that connection to self, to other, to source, that's like all happening simultaneously. And I, I agree. I think it's one of like the best feelings of just like, huh. It reminds you that you're not alone. It reminds you that you're connected mm. and that you're part of something greater. It's so fascinating to hear you speak about this from a historical context and to speak about the different, the left out Gnostic gospels. Is that what they're called? Mm-hmm. Because they almost sound like very in line with modern day New Age spirituality. And a lot of people talk about, you know, Christianity or different types of religion is like separate from this. But I I find that they can coexist in a really beautiful way, which I've changed my mind on in the past few years. Whenever I realized in my education that there were so many different things that didn't line up with, let's say, Christianity versus mm-hmm. like Buddhism, for example, I thought neither of these things can be real because they are different. And how can I say, oh, there's only one type of God and everybody else is wrong, right? So mm-hmm. my mind went in the direction of like, nothing is true because one can't coexist alone and leave the rest. And now I've come almost for a circle and said, all of it has truth. There is truth in all of it. And it's all unified. Yeah. It, it, I feel like you're touching on like the multiple paths to enlightenment. Mm. How would you define and, those? Well, I think there's, it's through the different religions, right? Everyone has different, like you do this to check the box and have enlightenment. But Christianity doesn't even really use the term enlightenment, right? Um, but the Gnosticism, the mysticism, uh, the Jesus that I believe was around and, and preaching and teaching was really talking about how to live here and be enlightened here on this planet, on this earth, in this time period versus like the church maybe being so focused on the afterlife. Mm. Right. But then you've got Buddhism enlightenment. Um, you've got Islam enlightenment. You've got all these different religions and these paths of enlightenment. Uh, which I believe, again, come back to kind of the same source, that same love of the connection with the greater. That can be felt through yourself. It doesn't have to be felt through like a pastor or a preacher or like oh, some sure. holier person than you. It can be felt I've directly. felt such the same kind of resonance we were talking about of like, oh, man, there's this energy moving through. I felt it sitting under a tree. I felt it in the ocean. Some people, there's different doorways I think there's 12, either seven or 12 different doorways to the divine. And some people find it in connection with people and with other, they can find the divine very easily. And these are usually people that are like very service oriented because they see God in others. Mm. Other people in nature, you know, they're the ones that are like out with the birds and the trees because they see God in nature. There are those that are very mental and they 
they love the text and they love the technology and they love like, you know, mapping it all together because they see God's intricacies in how the world works through the atoms and the molecules and like all of these things. And so I believe it's so specific, you know, there's so many different types of people, so many different types of systems. Why do we have like a one track? Here's how you do religion, which is the main difference to me of religion and spirituality of spirituality being much more personal, much more felt mm. experience with the divine in the way that you personally connect and in the way that you personally think of the divine. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you probably grew up since we grew up in similar churches with thinking God was like a white guy with a beard in the sky. Yeah. How, as you've learned more and expanded more, how has your thought of God as like an a entity being whatever, how has that transformed? Mm. That's a beautiful question. Um, gosh, there's just, I see God now in everything. Mm in everything like i'm looking at a tree out front and like there's god's the tree and there's also like this beautiful divine masculine god that holds right and then there's this beautiful divine feminine god that you can just rest and relax into and there's this greater holding that doesn't to me have a, a face or a name or a look because I believe those are all very human constructs, right? That's just my mind trying to make sense of this energy and being and divinity that is so much greater than my human capacity can hold. Mm -hmm. The human capacity part is interesting because I found that a lot of times, and I've done this myself, but I've also seen it with others, if we can't wrap our minds around something, we sometimes don't allow it to enter us. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we think like we've kind of gotten on this path of like the mind is the only way for things to enter. And yet in the past three years of my journey uh, of sort of opening up and awakening to more of a spiritual perspective and getting away from a more atheist perspective, I've realized there are so many different ways for information, for energy, for sensation, feeling, knowing to enter my being. Uh, and I know that you are in a school that really touches on and specializes in a lot of these different mm -hmm. entry points. Is there anything you'd like to share about those? Because I find it so fascinating. It is so fascinating. It is really fascinating. And I think you touched on something really big on like the needing to understand. And like if our mind can't understand, because that's a safety mechanism, right? Like if we can understand it, and it's sometimes you'll even, you'll feel it in your body when you learn to like feel your body sensations of like, I don't understand what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. And as soon as you know, you're like, huh, <laughs> right? Like you're like, oh, I get so it. true. Okay. I can relax. And so all these things, even that happen in nature and, and you know, that's, there's this wanting to understand so that we can feel peace with it. And the more I think that you learn to cultivate um, embodiment, higher levels of, levels of consciousness, where you can be in these higher levels of consciousness state, there's a peace and a surrender and a trusting. Uh, like, I know you went to Joe Dispenza and you're big into his work, right? Love um, him. Yeah. Could you imagine trying to conceptually understand everything he's teaching without being in that space and feeling it? 
Not at all. I mean, even right. even after listening to probably 40 plus hours of his teachings, there were mm-hmm. things that came up in meditation that he couldn't have possibly even touched on through his words. Right. The words and their human words and our human vocabulary are such a small part of actual language. And I believe that we've forgotten so much of it, of learning how to read body language, learning how to read nature, learning how to understand our own systems and rest in a way that we can pick up these subtleties and we can feel things. And it's a different style of learning than we're used to. It's, it's not read a book in my head. Now we're good. It's like these little glimpses over and over again, or the more meditations with dispenser you do, the more your body like knows it and you can sit in it. And it's like this lost art that part of the school I'm in is trying to get back to, right? These like ancient wisdom traditions of remembering and allowing these energies to move in us and through us. And at the same time, in order to do that, we have to uncondition ourselves from all these very human patterns and programming that have just been laid on top that are kind of blocking that natural communication and flow. Yes. I think we have a tendency to think that in this modern day, we are the smartest we've ever been. We're the most advanced, the most intelligent. But I honestly disagree with that because to your point, I think we've lost so much of the ancient wisdom that we developed over such a long time. And we instead reallocated and diverted all of our intelligence to the mind. And we just sort of cut ourselves off from other uh, tracks of that. And I mean, I think one way we're sort of awakening to that in the mainstream a little bit more is this conversation around emotional intelligence. Like that's just getting reintroduced, but it's like, this isn't the first time that used to be like the way people understood one another. And now we're kind of crawling and learning how to be human again, Mm -hmm. collectively, as you mentioned earlier on an individual level and being like, oh yeah, we have these things called feelings. How can we understand those again? Right. It's such an interesting shift of what you're saying of like going just to the mind and forgetting this whole body. And we've done that on a cultural level too of of individualizing ourselves versus living in tribe and community. Like there's so many interpersonal dynamics that we used to just naturally learn by being surrounded by others. And it's, gosh, there's just been so many shifts that yeah, there, there was something to these ancient wisdom traditions, right? And how they were living and how they were experiencing and the simplicity of learning your emotions and understanding what's happening and, and what it is to be a human and full expression and acceptance and love and all of these things that we've gotten so far away from. You mentioned community, and I can't let you get off of this podcast without talking about where you chose to live, which is Encinitas, (laughs) because I'm obsessed with it. I went and stayed with Jenny, uh, supposed to be only for seven days, but then it ended up being two and a half months in this beautiful place in California. And the community there has developed in such a way that's totally different from anything I've ever experienced before. I'm curious, Jenny, you've been there for five, six years Five years, yeah. Five years. What has shifted for you in viewing what community can be like and how things can be that feel better for you? It's been a beautiful experience. Uh, One of the things that I think sets this community apart is that a lot of us do this kind of work. 
of the non-duality, the holding truths, the understanding conditions and programming the human experience. It's also a very spiritual place, individually spiritual as well as collective. And what we were kind of talking about before of like how there's one truth and if you were wrong, you were out of the community. That exists less and less here. Mm. There is this beautiful ability to hold many truths at once. And it's a little hard to get used to at first because there's, you know, these feelings of resistance of like, oh, if I don't believe exactly what they believe, they're not going to be my friend. Versus here you can sit down and have conversations and their response is like, oh, really? That's fascinating. I'd love to learn more about that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean people disagree about things and then they can still get along? What, Jenny? They not only get along, but they're (laughs) opening to expanding their thought pattern. Imagine this. Imagine. It's a very, it's a place where people are like exploring and adventuring and going to, you know, I would never have gone to like a static dance before. Like everyone's just going to get in a room and move their bodies. And you're like, yeah. And it's something so freeing about seeing everyone do exactly what they want to do in the moment, but together. Yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful place. And it's been really healing to have those conversations. And it's been really healing to have those friendships that have remained firm. Gosh, I've had probably like 27 different iterations of myself here in the five years, right? And then, and a lot of people that I'm with too, because we're growing and we're evolving. And sometimes it's really messy. And sometimes you go over the line to have to figure out where the line is. And there's a permissioning to do that here. Mm. There's a permissioning to have the hard conversations. There's a permissioning to go over the line and then come back and say, hey, so last month I was in a thing. I realized what was happening now. And then go, yeah, I, I realized, you know, I saw. And you're like, that's amazing. And you can keep the friendship and you can keep the growth. And, and now I'm kind of addicted to it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's so beautiful to be in a, in a place like that around people who are open in that way and to realize that there's something else possible for us outside of what we've kind of gotten used to. If there was someone out there who's feeling like lonely and disconnected and they're so in this individual place and they want to feel more connected uh, to themselves, to Mm -hmm. other people, and to this higher power, whatever it is that they believe, what are some things that you would recommend that they practice? Mm, That's a great question. Uh, Well, first I want to tell them that they are definitely not alone. (laughs) They might be a little ahead of their time based on the people that they're around, but they are not alone. And that there are other people like that and here for them. I think uh, meditation is a beautiful place to start. Um, Awareness practices, which is like slightly different than meditation, but kind of taking the meditation out into the world and being able to see through a different lens. Um, one of my previous teachers, Locke Kelly, has some beautiful practices and, you know, there's audiobooks and ebooks of how to be able to like shift the mind and the power of thinking. Because essentially you've got to come to this like heart space and higher level of consciousness where some of those little things that the people around you might be pulling at and picking at just don't bother you anymore. Mm. Uh, I would also say, I know, you know, for both of us, finding like-minded people, whether it's on personal retreats or events, has been really big. To be able to physically be in places with people that accept you and love you and open your mind. 
And you can form those online too. There's online communities to help get plugged in. So I would say search around, find something that resonates with you and don't be afraid to join the Facebook group or go to the event or go to the retreat and just try to sit in that energy and see how it feels and see what other people are there to support you. Mm, I love that. There's something there. It's almost like just because you can't see it, just because you don't see it in your life now, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Doesn't right. mean it can't exist for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a lot that's been stripped away over time that we can remember, that we can bring back to ourselves. And I'm bringing us full circle here because I feel like I didn't give it enough attention whenever you mentioned it. But there were things that were removed from in the instance of Christianity, for example, gospels that were removed. And you Mm -hmm. touched lightly on what was in those. But could you dive in a little bit more to especially the story of Mary Magdalene, Mm -hmm. for example? I keep hearing about her and I don't know anything about her. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Oh, yeah. She uh, she's incredible. Mary Magdalene is beautiful. She, many say, was the counterpart to Christ. In the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the other disciples actually ask her, will you please tell us the things he told you in secret? Because they know that he shared more with her than with anybody else. Mm -hmm. She was also the one, and these are historical, you know, facts. She was also the one that he appeared to when he was resurrected. Oh, wow. And, you know, some people might go, oh, my gosh, how could a man be raised from the dead? There's there's many lines of thinking in this. And one of them is that she and he were connected at this soul level. She could have been seeing his soul. Mm. But she had done so many practices and so many awareness with him. And, and they were so aligned and so on this higher, 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 higher level of consciousness, both of them. It was just a time of patriarchy and a woman preacher definitely wouldn't have gone over well. I mean, he was a man preacher and he got killed. So, you know, like, <laughs> but they both had this higher, 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 higher level of consciousness that they could quote unquote, see each other in a higher way. There's different translations. Um, and Megan Watterson is a beautiful theologian, feminist teacher. She wrote this book called Mary Magdalene revealed. And in it, she kind of goes through her gospel because there's a gospel of Mary Magdalene that we only recently found um, hidden. And there's three different copies of it. We're still missing pages from it, which is a bummer, but the things in it are incredibly beautiful, including asking Christ of like, how do we see visions? Is it through our mind? And he essentially said it's through like the noose, which is like the soul's mind. Mm. And it's like the heart mind. And there's just so many beautiful teachings. Um, Another one is that they say that when Jesus was on the cross, like literally physically being crucified, that it was the women who sat at the foot of the cross. And in the Bible, the women are there the entire time. The women never leave. And the women are the ones that are holding the energy so he doesn't feel physical pain. Wow. Like these women are mystical, magical, powerful beings. And they're mentioned in the Bible. They're there. They say that there's women disciples. There's not a lot of emphasis on the Bible of these women, but you have to remember the time period of which this book was written by men in a time of patriarchy where they wanted to control the power and have women be less than. Mm. Some people also say, um, you know, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And where does that come from? And it's literally nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. (laughs) 
one pope said it, I think like 591 or like 680. He said it in one sermon and it stuck. Wow. In the Bible, it does say that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. And in Mary Magdalene's gospel, which again, these books and these things are so powerful. She talks about the seven power centers that have to be cleared in order to understand the human energy experience. So hers talks about like anger is one of them. Wrath is one of them, right? Like these are the quote unquote seven demons that Jesus helped clear. And there's different views of this because we've also got seven power centers in the chakra system. Oh, yes. The seven keeps coming up. The seven keeps coming up. And I had a crazy powerful meditation one day underneath the tree where I so clearly saw Jesus aligning Mary Magdalene's seven centers and the seven chakra system so that they could be on the same page. Because I've got to imagine he was lonely, right? Like having this giant higher level of consciousness. And he passed and he created all of these teachings with her. Mm. There's another book called I Remember Union, which essentially talks about the like them, Mary Magdalene and Jesus agreeing in like the astral world to come down to earth for this mission of creating enlightenment on the planet. And that she was really holding that alignment and holding the line and like constantly reminding him of why they were there for their mission and what they were doing. And at the human time period on the planet, it had to be him, not her, that was leading this charge. Wow. So there's there's many beautiful things. There's the the masculine, the feminine. A few things say they were married or they were lovers. And again, it's like, what do we what do we know? And if he is fully here to be fully divine and fully human, yes. Like he would of course experience companionship and intimacy. And all of these things that come with being a human. It's just fascinating to hear that so much, because I imagine you're just getting to the tip of the iceberg. So much was left out of such a powerful text. And like you Mm -hmm. said, hard job. We have no idea what was going on, how they made that decision. But I think it's important for each of us to open our mind to the possibility that we don't have all the information Mm-hmm. In, in a lot of different circumstances in order to close ourselves off to possibility. Right. Right. I think it's so important. And that you have to remember, like, the, the historical part. I mean, mm-hmm. even people today, right, there's the argument that the Constitution of the United States was written at a very specific time. And if they wrote it now, it would be different. Yeah. Why does that not apply to religious texts? Yeah. It's like, can we? And that's why I feel like Gnosticism and embodiment and somatics and, like, all these things are so important. Because the feeling and the energies remain the same. The words and the historical timepieces are different. So if you can feel into the energetics of this Christ consciousness line, of this Mary Magdalene line, of the Sophia line, of like the love and the energy of what's actually here, the words don't matter as much. And the words, they interestingly there aren't enough to even describe what we feel. I see these Mm -hmm. interesting posts about how some languages have words for things that we can't even describe because we don't have the words for them. And so if we don't even have the language to, the words don't even exist to describe something, how can we talk about it? I think Brene Brown (laughs) talks about that. It's so important to be able to identify and sort of label your emotions whenever you're trying to understand uh, another person's experience because they can't just, well, maybe some people can, but most people can't just walk up to someone else and be like, here's how I'm feeling, like zap and like have them feel 
feel it, you know? And so we have to use our words whenever it comes to our relationship and connection with others and gaining mutual understanding. So to not even have words to even come close to describing these experiences is a huge loss for us. A hundred percent. And for those who, again, find safety and understanding, there are books, there are resources. Um, Megan Watterson, who is that feminist theologian, one of the reasons I love her is because she's so studied and she'll talk about the direct translation. Because even now we're reading these religious texts in English thousands of years after that have been translated and translated and translated and translated. And there are like specific words that she'll go back to what they were in Greek, what they were in Coptic, like what they were at the time that they were written. And even that very subtle shift just like is another thing that can open us. Yeah, I'm thinking about for the first time, even if someone were to come and, I don't know, translate English into Japanese and they translate one word that's supposed to mean joy into contentment, you know, that's a huge difference. But it's a huge difference. But it's a nuance in language that might not be translated correctly or picked up on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's something you brought up and I think is a good example of how some people might shut down. The mind might shut down to information where you mentioned like the women were around him and they were energetically making it to where he wasn't feeling pain. I think myself of five or six years ago would have been like, what? Okay, now we're getting into the woo-woo stuff. This is ridiculous. But having been in environments where there is that personal experience, especially I'll say like even Dr. Joe Dispenza, for example, who are now taking it beyond experience and trying to share the experience via the language of science so Mm -hmm. that more people, since we do require, many of us do require like our minds to be entered in order to expand and open to something uh, where he's doing this research. And while I was there, there were so many people that came on stage and talked about uh, ailments that they had, physical ailments, and they talked about how meditation alleviated their pain. So there's something about um, stories that we might say, oh, there's nothing to it that is now getting translated into the language and the understanding of the mind and science. And we're starting to be able to pair these things up to, to again, bring these worlds that feel separate, spirituality, mystical experiences, and science together so they can coexist in a beautiful way. Yeah, I love that because there is the human mind and the capacity that we have. And these higher levels of consciousness, whether it's Dr. Joe Dispenza or awareness or awakening or some of the like Um, Eastern religious traditions where they are just in connection with the divine. There is a timelessness there. Mm. And there's a painlessness there. We're less identified with our physical body when we're in those states. And I'm sure you've meditated for hours. And if you would have told us that a few years ago, we'd be like, what the heck? Like, how (laughs) is that even possible? But but you realize and not to get really woo, time's just a human construct, right? Like you totally. get into this space of of nothingness and oneness all at the same time. And you physically feel different. Yeah. You could sit in the same position for hours. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, and so when things say, you know, like, oh, Jesus couldn't have performed miracles of like healing leprosy or doing this or doing that and you're like 
I mean, who's to say, right? You've got things like Dr. Joe Dispenza right now, and these things are happening. And he, thankfully, has this scientific doorway, because again, our minds, especially in this century right now, want and need to understand. Versus in that time, I can completely see, knowing what I know now about energetics and embodiment, all these things of holding such a high energetic field of health and of resonance and safety that these healings can occur that there's liberation in the dis-ease, in the dis-ease in our body as it's reset and it remembers true health. You mentioned something earlier, a higher state of consciousness. What does that mean to you? How would you describe that state? Hmm. So in, in the school that I'm in, there's several kind of stages of this state of consciousness. And I'm going to use my own words for them and my own map for them. But Essentially, we've got like our thinking mind and like our ego and, and things are black and white and I'm a person, you're a tree, I'm over here, you're over there. And then there's these like stages of deepening into more oneness, into more part of the all, into our heart. Um, and the first one is like the subtle sensation, right? When you start to be like, oh... I can see colors maybe a little bit more vibrantly, or I can feel the trees in a different way. Or it's when you start like getting your color set, you know, like of getting more things in, in your set of like, oh, maybe I have different senses that I didn't know I have feeling senses. I can pick up on someone's body language, you know, all of these things that we do unconsciously, but now we're kind of bringing an awareness to it. Um, and then going all the way through into awareness and then awake awareness where you're in this space that is just so empty, I would say. And a lot of people use kind of the, the metaphor of the sky and your thoughts are like clouds that are just drifting through the sky, right? So your thoughts are there, but you're holding this presence of just stillness and oneness and you're not as identified with your thoughts. Mm. Your thoughts are not who you are. You are not angry. But you might be, oh, I feel a little angry right now. Okay, cool. Gonna let that pass through. There's a separation between who you are and the like current emotion that you're feeling. Mm. And then all the way up to what, what the school calls simultaneous, which is essentially that awareness, but with energy in it, so that you can move and be from this space of oneness, but with energy and embodiment. Ooh. So for example, like uh, if someone reaches this feeling of bliss and oneness and mm -hmm. unity that many people will access either through meditation or through plant medicine, um, where would that lie on that spectrum? Mm. I believe, I mean, that's pretty much like this awake awareness bliss. If it's got bliss in it, then it has energy. Mm. And so then it would be more the simultaneous and really that like where we would love to all be operating from. That's a good point that like things are sort of passing and it's empty. But if there is mm -hmm. an emotion, even if it's positive, it's there's something else going on in there right. that's contributing to the experience. Oh, and it's, it's almost like you were able to separate them. Right. And mm -hmm. then re-merge them, but together. OK, because you can like then experience joy, but maybe you're not are the joy you know like you're, yeah. you're kind of like experiencing these things but from a new like embodied state 
And and there's almost like this, I don't know if you've ever reached it, like this childlike wonder in it. Mm. We're like, oh my gosh. And it could be like the simplest thing, but all of a sudden you're seeing it in such a completely different way that it there's this beauty and this awe and this wonder to it. I have noticed it. I never thought of it as like the childlike wonder, but I'm now realizing that it was. It felt like this playfulness, like this open playfulness is often the state I've been whenever I've had some of my most interesting, expansive experiences that feel like levels up above where my mind usually sits or like my my being usually is. Oh, I love that. It sounds like it's like a liberation yeah. of the safety patterns and conditions that have been layered on through your life and through cultural and all these things. And it's back to that purest expression of joy. Mm. That is freedom. That's to me, that's like freedom right there. Yeah. <laughs> so what is something that everyone at home could start doing today if they were interested in maybe tapping into a, a higher level of consciousness or seeing things a little bit differently? Mm-hmm. I would honestly say meditation is a beautiful place to start. And I want to say there's not one way to meditate. Yeah. I do a lot of walking meditations. And there's really beautiful exercises that are out there on, you know, different apps or books or things. But I think, honestly, just the returning to the breath, like taking a walk in nature, for me anyway, no phones, no distractions. If you feel your mind wandering, that's completely fine. And just coming back to your breath, like trying to be as present as possible. I would probably say actually practicing presence is the number one thing. Which means if you're thinking about the past or worrying about the future, you're not fully present. And so what can you do? These little glimpses to just be here and now. Whether it's like, okay, I'm going to focus on my breath. Or I'm just going to take stock of what's in the room right now. And what's my surroundings and like what's here now. I think is a beautiful practice to start to let some of the things fall that aren't ours. And if someone wanted to let some of the separateness fall that we've learned in the boxes of different religions and different belief systems, do you have any book recommendations or content recommendations that people could digest? Yeah, especially if they're starting from a much more Christian background, which I was, and that's just been my journey. So that's the one I know most. Um, there's several books that can kind of open it. Uh, Richard Rohr is actually a Catholic priest who's now more of like a spiritual mystic. And he's got books called like The Naked Now and What Mystics Know. And I can send you a list of these beautiful um, things that he kind of strips back to spirituality. Hmm. And he's very studied and back to the original teachings. If you want to know more about Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene Revealed is probably the number one place I'd start with um, Megan Watterson's book. And then there's also, if you've got a Christian background, but maybe you do a little yoga, all these things, the Self-Realization Fellowship, again, Jesus is one of their gurus. Um, there's the Yoga of Jesus, which is a beautiful book that talks about, uh, you know, some of his self-prayer being meditations. And they just help kind of bridge the gap between those thought patterns, right, of like Christianity, meditation. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. You know, so they can come together. <laughs> they can come together. Like prayer is a form of meditation. Mm. And it's not to say that people who are praying in a quote unquote like traditional religious way are wrong. That might be their style of meditation. 
Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's kind of the more you open your mind. And for me, um, find new terms and vocabulary. I was able to connect things pretty well. I was like, oh my gosh, ask and you shall receive. Woo-woo culture calls that manifestation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like these same things. And then I, it's so beautiful because now I have a whole nother connection with my parents too. I didn't talk about this much, but they've always talked about like asking you shall receive, like your heart knows, like follow your, your heart and follow your intuition. And there's just these different words that people use because they feel better about them that have these beautiful themes that are similar. Different language, same experience. Yeah. In a way. Same experience. Just so everyone knows, I'll include a link to these recommendations in the show notes. And I want to give you an opportunity, Jenny, to talk a little bit about your work and anything you want to mention around how you can support people. Yeah, thank you. So I am continuing to deepen more and more into this work of embodiment. It's really important to me to be able to help people understand how they feel like their own heart their own experience their own bodies and be able to recognize and thank these patterns and conditionings and all of these things that have kind of been put on top of us because they did help keep us safe and they got us to where we're going and actually in one of the books it talks about the first half of our life is supposed to be that it's like this forming of the ego to keep us safe and to keep us healthy And then there's a tipping point where we have to unlearn and get back to our soul. Right? I know. And so like, I love to help people in that tipping point where it's like, okay, maybe now you're aware you have an ego and that is a beautiful part of you. And there's so much more. Mm. So I love to, yeah, help bridge the gap between um, like patterns and conditioning and who they are now between religion and spirituality and really coming back to the heart of it all. Um, so whether it's working through religious trauma or childhood trauma, which are like these ruptures that we get to repair. I help guide people into repairing them. Um, I do one-on-one coaching and I've got a few programs coming up, including back to the center of your spirituality. So kind of using some of these embodiment practices to really feel your different doorways to the divine and what the divine means to you and not putting one track on it, but more so handing you the full box of crayons so that you can discover what your favorite color is. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. If people wanted to connect with you or follow you after the show, how can they do that? You can connect with me best um, probably on Instagram at Jenny Scholl, my name, or uh, my website, which is JennyScholl.com. Great. And I ask every guest this, if you could leave our listeners with one message, what would it be? Mm. I think my message would be that you already know. Mm. (laughs) Like you already know what your truth is. You already know what your purpose on this planet is. And you may be getting glimpses of it right now because there's a lot of noise in your life and in your field. But deep down, you already know and that you have a gift to share. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that message. And thank you for all of this. This was a fascinating conversation. I loved it so much. And I really appreciate your time being here. 
Oh, thank you for opening the conversation and, and opening to these questions. I think it's so important. I love what you're doing. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to be kept in the loop on new episodes like it, follow us on Instagram at Abundantly Curious or join the email list at the link in our show description and show notes. And if you've got extra love to give, which we always welcome, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, when we open our minds, we open to new possibilities. 